You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And now, Lucha Central Weekly. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast, English edition. This is Miranda Morales being joined by Dusty Murphy and Brendan Barr. And at this time, we have a very special guest for our interview. He is a man dedicated to the world of professional wrestling, a noted wrestling historian, and a wrestler in the Pacific Northwest region of the NWA, the last person to defend the NWA regional title there, and part of the revitalized wrestling in Washington State. He is currently the promoter for the Washington-based Super Indie Defy Wrestling, which has seen the likes of Los Parks, Matt Cross, the Young Bucks, Isaiah Swerve Scott, the Lucha Bros, and Jushin Thunder Liger, to name a few. Please welcome to the show, Matt Farmer. Matt, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, everybody. Um, and wow, what a what an introduction. Yes, we are very thorough here on the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast, and we are so excited to talk with you. I mean, that is just a snippet, a snapshot of your career, of your contributions and knowledge in professional wrestling. So we are very, very excited to talk with you about that and much, much more. So get ready, because we got, we, we definitely <laughs> want to learn from you. Uh, I mean, really, because of your your history and all of the roles that you've played within professional wrestling and Lucha Libre, I mean, I really, the first question is, what started your your interest in wrestling and, and in Lucha Libre? Oh, I think, like a lot of people, it's something that you, you, you grow up with because of family members watching wrestling, and that, that's what it was with me, basically. Like, a lot of folks, um, you know, my grand, my grandpa followed wrestling. He watched wrestling pretty religiously. My dad was kind of us. He, he watched off and on. Um, and so that just got me into it. And then I talked him into taking me to some live shows when I was a kid. And, you know, that's, I was hooked. So ever since then, and it's been something that I've really been interested in, um, Luckily, like when I was a teenager, I came into contact with some old promoters from the Pacific Northwest and some old old historians, and they really kind of like piqued my interest to learn even more about wrestling history because I didn't realize at the time how much history there was locally. And then oh, once yeah. I once I started learning about that, then I kind of just expanded that globally and. It's weird because now, whether it's Lucha Libre or, or wrestling or Lucha, Lucha Libre, you know, in Brazil or another country, I'm interested in all wrestling history, you know. So it's it's just, a, I don't know, it's just a huge uh, interest for me. What? Was it, as you mentioned about, you know, wrestling of all types, what was it specifically about Lucha Libre that 
took your that captured your attention, uh, especially in the Pacific Northwest, where it, it you know, probably didn't have a, a big presence or may have not had a, a, yeah. a lot of matches out there. No, you know, Lucha was pretty is is relatively new to the Pacific Northwest. However, um, I liked it. Honestly, when I when I was growing up, I liked anything that involved wrestling. So if there was a ring on television, one of one of my good friends is one of my good friends is the late great Buddy Wayne, who was a trainer, and we used to joke with each other um, through emails and things like that. We were like, you know, when we were kids, if there was a ring on television or if there was a ring in a building, uh, we didn't care. We just wanted to see it, you know. And that's what it was with Lucha Libre for me when I first started seeing Lucha Libre. It was on an, on an uncle's old satellite dish back in the eighties when they had Galavision. And wow. I started seeing the shows from Arena Coliseo or Arena Mexico. And those mat, those shows at the time were completely different than any, anything we saw in the West because you had guys like Atlantis and stuff who were doing dives, you know, math, Mathematico and stuff who were doing these crazy dives. And it's just like, it wasn't what I was used to, but it was still something that was awesome, I thought. And ever since that time, I was just intrigued by it. And then later on, as I started learning about wrestling history and studying wrestling history, Lucha Libre really, like, piqued my interest just because there's such a huge amount of history. And they've actually done a decent job maintaining history. It's not always correct, but at least they maintain wrestling history. We're in the U.S., they tend to try to forget wrestling history, or at least through WWE, you know, they they tried to forget wrestling history for a long time in the 80s. And 90s. Yeah, it's true. Short-term memory. Yeah. And, and, you know, like WWE, of course, they have their revisionist history, where in Mexico it's a little different. They actually have a pretty strong, like Mexico and Japan and other countries, they have a pretty good, strong base of history. It's just, you know, it's it needs to be explored more. Absolutely. Um, well, since you were, we're talking about history and you've already names dropped some stuff, uh, when you were growing up, did you have a favorite luchador? Or do you have a favorite luchador now, or is that too much of a question to ask since you kind of have to like them all? Yeah, I mean, it's such a broad, like, I mean, it's it's like such a broad uh, a number of guys. Like, I have favorites from different eras and things like that. One of my all-time Beautiful. One of my all-time favorites is Pedro Guayo. You know, I mean, okay. yeah. yeah, I've had the opportunity to see Pedro in person numerous times. I've seen his son numerous times in person, and it's just like, those guys are on a different level. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what makes them special, but it was just their charisma, you know, and how fans believed in them. I was also a big fan of Santo. Um, his son, the Santo Jr., you know, he's mm-hmm. always been a huge fan of his, not necessarily because he's the, you know, one of the biggest names or anything like that. It's just I always liked his style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was a big fan of... Uh, uh, Sol- Solitario, the Death Missionaries, you know, the Death, death Missionaries were huge fans, I was huge fans of them, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, geez, just tons of guys, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's hard to, it's, 
you know, four or five guys. What's different, like as a promoter, what's different about working with luchadors than working with like an American wrestler? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to get too inside on that, but. <laughs> <laughs> get in, so, so, we're not laying any landmines, we swear, we swear. Yeah, out of pure curiosity. Yeah, nowadays, nowadays, honestly, there's not as much. Um, there are some of the old guard in in Mexico that are still very strict in how they see things, but I also come from that world, so it doesn't bother me. But I mean, I when I was younger, I wrestled on shows with guys like Santo, you know, or Bill Masteris, or some of these other guys who were very strict in how they handled their business. You know, um, there are certain guys today like Dr. Wagner or, or the, uh, L.A. Park. You know, they're very strict in how they handle their business. They're no nonsense. Um, but with the younger generation of luchadors, it's a little more wide open and they're a little more in tune with how U.S. independence work. So it's a little different. But in, in dealing with a lot of the old guard in Mexico, you have to be very clear about certain things because they're going to be very clear about certain things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's good. I, I, I kind of prefer that. I, I prefer that old way of doing things in some ways because they are, they understand the business a little differently and uh, they're very protective about their, their image, you know, Yeah. which, which is something that reminds me of years, years gone by. So with that, you've talked, we talked a little bit, uh, of, from the promoter perspective and we've, you know, mentioned your knowledge as a historian and your experience within the Pacific Northwest is, from your perspective, can you talk more about the impact of luchadors in the United States or lucha libre? What from, from, you know, as a wrestler and historian promoter, what can you tell us about your thoughts on, you know, lucha libre in the United States? Um, you know, it's Lucha Libre has always had a place in the United States, especially in a lot of the southern markets, you know, Los Angeles, parts of Texas. Um, Lucha Libre even had a very strong run in places like Chicago during the 1960s. Um, you know, Santo drew over 11,000 fans at an arena in Chicago back in 1969. So there's always been a presence. Um, it's just most of the U.S. promoters didn't understand how to use them or utilize them to the best of their ability. A lot of the southern southern promoters, because they were on the border and they understood the culture a little, little better, they recognized their abilities and box office appeal. And so they did treat those guys um, better. And they would usually use them as a special attraction or something like Santo or uh, medical assessional, you know, those guys were treated as special attractions. Um, but over time, as the landscape of wrestling changed and it, it became a TV industry, I think a lot of those promoters kind of like, they kind of didn't understand the appeal because they, a lot of the companies were ran by wrestlers or 
promoters or something from an era where they just didn't see it, see it. They just saw them as small guys who were interchangeable because of the masks. But I think guys like Rey Mysterio and Conan especially um, really need to get a lot of uh, a lot of praise for how they did navigate um, wrestling in the United States, you know, and really brought it, bring it to the forefront and really show that there's a place for, for Hispanic wrestlers um, on a mainstream level. And because I mean, I remember the AAA shows in the early 90s that were just drawn massive crowds, you know, and the crowds were hot, but nobody in the U.S. understood them except for a few people. And it's it's just it's one of those things where it took time to for them to knock the doors down. And finally, they're able to, like, really be a part of the mainstream wrestling scene, which is great. So. In that respect, then, um, how do you you present? You have luchadors on on shows that you do quite regularly now. So you've done lucha exclusive shows, but at Defy you do kind of mix. How do you uh, kind of try and present that in a way that will be uh, that the the audience can kind of be invested in these luchadors as well? You know. To be honest, I, I present them just like anybody else. Uh, um, of course, when you have a, a wrestler that you're paying to fly in or you're paying a premium price to come and wrestle, you do feature them a little more because you're depending on them to sell tickets, which we usually do in that case. Um, but in those matches particularly, you, you are trying to attract maybe like a certain fan base because there is a certain fan base that loves that those high-flying matches and high-action matches and things like that. But for the most part, you really treat them like anything else. You treat them like a special attraction or a special feature and let them do their things because that's, I mean, that's what they specialize at. You know, they put them in the ring and let them do what they do best, right? Um, You know, I mean, you could build storylines with them and things like that as well. And that's great, but at the end of the day, what they really, um, what they really like, uh, what, what they're really the best at is just getting in the ring and performing. And that, that's the best mm-hmm. way to present them, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and to the, to the, a little bit of what you were alluding to, you don't just have fly-in guys. We do have a Lucha Libre school up here. I promote them all the time, Lucha Libre Volcanica. So you have mm-hmm. dipped into that talent pool. I see when I went to buy my tickets, I saw Sonico's face front and center. So, uh, do you, do you use the local guys? Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you use our local luchadors differently than those, those flying guys? No, it just depends on the individual talent, you know, because mm-hmm. like in all areas, all regions of the country or the world, there's different levels of talent. Mm-hmm. And so you have to feature them depending on their skill level and their experience level. Um, so it just depends. You you do it on a case by case basis, you know. Um, it just depends. You know, it. I mean, everybody has the way their their little ways of booking certain things or treating mm-hmm. certain things, and it. You know, it's individual talent. In your opinion, who do you think is the next big lucha talent currently on the Indies? Is there uh, like the next Rey Mysterio, the next Conan, like a next 
that kind is there anybody of that importance right now on the indies there's there's no next ray mysterio yeah be, well yeah yeah and, and, and I'll, I'll be completely frank the reason why until wrestlers find out and understand that the reason why ray mysterio was so over is not because of what moves he did, but because of how he sold and how he handled his match, they will never get to his level. There will be other luchadors that can achieve that success, but Ray's magic had nothing to do with his offense and all about what he did on defense. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting perspective. Because uh, you're right, you know. So I think there's definitely an overemphasis on a, a specific move set um, and an underestimation on things like selling and things like interactions with people in the ring and someone who can be versatile and take and, and really get into the ring with anyone and perform at a high level, but also have a, a, a contrast and be able to help sell and push that their opponent. Um, in, in ways like Rey Mysterio is so well known for. Exactly. And, you know, Rey Mysterio is like a, like a new version of say a Ricky Morton. Mm-hmm. In, in that, you know, Ricky was, you know, he was a high flyer for his day, but, but if you, if you sit down and write down on a piece of paper, every move that Ricky Morton did, that may, you might find 10. Ten moves. Once in a while, he once in a while he'd pull off a Rana or something different because he was capable of doing that. But he understood that his role wasn't to do all that stuff because, at the end of the day, honestly, one of the mistakes a lot of wrestlers make is they do too many moves because the fans in the seats can't comprehend all those moves that the wrestlers are doing. So, like casual fans. When casual fans watch wrestling, they could see the impact of a move, but sometimes they don't quite understand the intricacies of why this guy flipped around like this to land like this. They don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes Ray, what made Ray so great is when he did do his high flying moves, he kept them simple enough to where they were easy to intake. Mm -hmm. So. You know, there, there's little things Ray does that a lot of wrestlers don't pick up on, and it, it's one of those. You know, he's one of those once in a once in a generation type guys. You know, all, also so. Absolutely. And and on that point, I've I've looked at this a little bit, but since we have you here, this is uh, the perfect opportunity to explore it again. Uh, you had uh, Eddie Guerrero bringing a lot of the emotion and selling down to Mexico, like the, that type of storytelling. Uh, did you, I mean, is there, is that impact something that you can noticeably see moving forward from that point in time uh, in both, on both sides of the border or yeah. uh, so, I'm, I'm so kind what, of. So what Eddie brought to the, what Eddie brought to the, to Mexico wasn't actually selling and things like that for his emotions. That was Art Bar that did that. His no. tag team part. Yeah. Bar. What I, Eddie I, brought what Eddie brought at that time was Japanese style wrestling. Hmm. 
because at that time, the big power bombs, the big suplexes, the mm-hmm. big bumps were not common in Mexico as, as frequently as people think. Because of Lucha Libre, those type of bumps were, weren't common because, I mean, if you've ever been in a Lucha ring down in Mexico, you don't do those, take those bumps. Hard. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, Eddie, that's what Eddie brought. Like, if you watch the, like, watch when Eddie came back from a couple tours of Japan, he was suplexing guys out of their boots. And a lot of the older guys didn't like that. But when he teamed up with Art, Art brought that, uh, Art brought the charisma. He brought the mannerisms. He brought that mixture of Roddy Piper and Buddy Rose down with him. And then he introduced that to Eddie. And Eddie, you could really see when Eddie teamed with Art, how he influenced Eddie. And what you saw as like, you know, Pete later with Eddie, that was part of Art. Or bar, um, or bar. Yeah. I, so, I try and undersell this. My last name is Bar. Everybody talks to me about Art Bar, so I was going that <laughs> route. Um, uh, yeah, I, you're, you're absolutely correct, and that's one of the reasons I was drawn to, to Art as, as a kid and, and, uh, grew up in the Pacific Northwest with that, that last name, and that brought me into Lucha, so. Uh, I had the opportunity to see those two as a team wrestle in person, and it's it was it's just tremendous because the charisma that Art had at that time um, was on another level, and that helped influence Eddie. And you can even see it in their matches where Art Eddie's doing all the wrestling, but Art's just hitting a few big moves here and there. And then he's working the crowd. He's showing charisma. He's combining yeah. it. You know, he's doing all the other stuff that really actually is what draws interest in. So you know, and Art's not the only one that did that, but that was a big part of Eddie's career. Was that time? Yeah. You know, another thing too is like Eddie's older brother Chavo was very influential in Japan as well. You know, he was a big star in Japan and there was a time when he brought that a lot of the Japanese style to Mexico as well, but Chavo really mostly wrestled in the in the US and only made trips to Mexico. He didn't wrestle in Mexico as much as people think he did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of out of Texas as I recall. Um California, like you said, uh, kind of the yeah, and he the uh, hard areas for yeah, and Chavo work a lot of the border towns, you know, like it, especially like where you know he'd jump over from El Paso and things like that. So, um, you know, into like Juarez, which was a huge territory at the time. Yeah. Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about working with luchadors in the ring. Was there a particular luchador or match that left kind of the greatest impact on you, whether it was almost starstruck or an experience in the ring with someone that really is, is something that you, you commemorate? Um, some of my, my favorite experiences in the ring with like a luchador would be Working with the Vianos, um, uh. they were excellent and they were great teachers. 
like at the time that I had worked with them, I had been to Mexico a few times and worked out and trained and worked a few spot shows. Um, and I trained at the gym in Tijuana, which is where like Ray Mysterio and Conan and Seacosis and all those guys trained at. Mm. And I trained there a little bit. And then I got to work the Vianos. And at that time, I had worked some luchadors before that, but they were never like the main, like <laughs> main guys, you know, top stars. And I really learned a lot from them. And they're one of the things that, is also different in Lucha Libre, especially at that time, is they were at, at times really aggressive. And so if you wanted them to stay, like if you wanted them to stay down, you had to keep them down, you know? You had to force, oh, yeah. force, force yeah. them down. Um, and so, yeah, there was a little differences in wrestling, you, you know, and but it was a lot of fun to learn that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that does sound fun. Yeah. And, and one thing is, is, you know, especially many years ago, it was different in that um, as an outsider, you're handled a little a little differently. You know, they're a little harder on you. It's kind of like when you, you go to Japan and you wrestle for the first time. Yeah. You have to kind of like show your show your wares and not back down. I'm going to say almost proving yourself. Uh, to, to, yeah, to, to that level of, you know, if they're gonna spend that time and energy with you in the ring, it needs to be worth their while. Yes. Yeah. And they're, they're gonna hit you a little hard at first and they're gonna, you know, be a little rough with you at first. But then once you return it, they're fine. You know, it's just like anyone else. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's, it's, a, it's all an experience. Yeah, I, I would say it's kind of a vital and important experience to make you a, to make a wrestler more well-rounded. Um, traveling, especially in this more global age, seems to be much more important in that respect. I'm, I'm, I don't know. What are your views on that? Well, I, I agree. Um, one thing I, I do I, I do kind of wish was more was more old school would be when say. An American goes to Mexico. Years ago, they didn't wrestle lucha style. They would just wrestle American style. Mm-hmm. And they would work with each other to figure out the best way to go. Like when Owen Hart would go or Chris Benoit would go, or even somebody like a Bam Bam Bigelow or, you know, some of the other names that would go down there, they didn't work lucha style. No, Hogan and Andre sure didn't work lucha. No, when yeah. Hogan... <laughs> And went to Mexico, he didn't but they so the so the wrestlers would adapt with each other, and that I felt always felt different. It felt special, um, because it didn't look so choreographed, mm-hmm. you know. And, I, and so, there's something that's to, to be said about that as far as attracting emotion, true emotions from a crowd, is when you don't do that. So, uh, has there been a, a bigger shift now? You're saying that uh, when Americans go to Mexico, they're now wrestling more of that local style. And if so, why do you think that shift happened? Because the styles have all become integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, with so, Not just social media, but just sharing of videos and things like that. It's so common. Um, like, like, 
when a lot of Americans went to Mexico, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they only had a few tapes. They didn't have somebody mm. at their school that was training Lucha style. They didn't, you know, so they weren't getting familiarized with those different styles. They just got booked there, you know. And so you'd have guys go to Mexico, like uh, like Chris Jericho, the first time he went to Mexico with Mike Lozanski, you know, Chris had never learned Lucha style. He just got in the ring and started wrestling. And that's what you would do. Um, but now you pr- train. You train and train and train and practice and practice and practice. And you're trying out different things. But years ago, you didn't do that. You just learned your basics and then went out the door. So a lot of it was more by learning as you go and then adapting to the scenery wherever you were at. So it was just like when a wrestler would go to Germany and wrestle rounds or you'd go to England and wrestle the the English style. You just had to adapt. You, You didn't necessarily have somebody that sat you down and said, okay, well, this is exactly how you do it. You know, this is what you call how you call stuff or anything like that. You just did it. Um, but now, I mean, like every, everybody now could see, you know, Mystico, for instance, uh, you know, his, you could check his matches out on YouTube and learn what he does. So yeah. you're good. <laughs> um, Defy. Of- oh, sorry, Brendan. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dustin. Oh, I, I was just going to mention Defy has brought in some trainers from time to time, well-known. Uh, they had Luchasaurus. I mean, like, several well-known names. And I just wondered if you had any stories or lessons that you kind of p- surprised you that you picked up after all these years with having the, the Lucha trainers there. You know, one of the best Lucha trainers that we had was Taya, Taya Valkyrie. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> We're big fans on this show. Big, big yeah. fans on the show. You know, th- it was her first seminar that she'd ever done. And afterwards, I just was like, I, I I was talking to her, and I was like, you know, that was one of the best seminars I've ever seen. She was so good with everybody. Um, and she was teaching them a few Lucha spots, spots that I wasn't necessarily familiar with, but it was something that she does on a regular basis. And she did a great job training. She would, she would actually, if I was hiring, like if I had a performance center and I was hiring somebody to coach, she's somebody I would seek out to coach. Um, you know, because her experience too is, you know, just yeah, she's been everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she kind of just jumped in the fire. So I, I really admire her, and yeah, she she's one of the better coaches I've seen, or trainers I've seen, for Lucha especially. What was the importance of having, uh, incorporating Lucha matches and trainers and, and really experiences into Defy Wrestling? Well, it's something that, you know, you want to represent everything globally, right? I mean, Wrestling's not a regional thing, and it's, you know, it shouldn't be a regional thing. It's a global um, phenomenon. So, you know, I, I like to see that representation. I always have. I've When I was a kid, you know, when you're a kid, you're booking shows or playing around. <laughs> and 
writing down names or making up tournaments or whatever. Yeah. Doing doing that right now as adults on podcasts, you know. (laughs) I know. I remember, like, when the Super J Cup first came out in 94, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. I'd start making up my own fake tournaments (laughs) and stuff like that. And it would all be wrestlers from, like, Europe and Mexico and Japan and all over the, you know. So that's just something you like to see. And. I know fans like to see that. There's a certain, you know, there's certain fans that just love to see fresh talent. And and in in Mexico, you know, in Lucha Libre, man, there's a lot of talent out there that just has never been exposed. You know? Absolutely. So uh, yeah, it's just one of the, it's just one of those things. I like to see a little bit of, you know, I mean, we brought o- we've brought over people from Japan, Mexico, Australia, you know, the UK, and I just like to see all good wrestlers. Has there been anybody you've been able to bring over where you were just like, I can't believe it. You know, we, we, we've got this person. They're going to be on one of our shows. Yeah. Jushin Liger was one of those guys. Yeah. That's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Dusty asked that question. <laughs> question. Liger was, a, I, I, I am too. And Liger was like a personal, like, um, you know, like a, a personal, like kind of like a, a goal, because he was somebody that since the beginning of his career. I mean, I remember when he debuted. I remember getting the tape of when he debuted as Jushin Liger, and just being amazed by him. And even before he was Jushin Liger, I was a fan of his. So it was good to see him in because he's done everything. He's kind of been like the cornerstone of that junior style. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, he's done as much as everybody, as anybody to incorporate all the styles from around the world into, into wrestling, you know, and, uh, it was just great to see him. Another guy was Ultimo Dragon. Getting to work with him was awesome because I've been a fan of his for a long time. And plus he's such an awesome wrestler. So th- those two guys were big gets for me. Yeah. Very cool. So, I mean, we, We've kind of danced around it. Defy helped co-promote the a Super J event. So, do you have any stories from that? Or, I mean, there was a lot of lucha presence there as well. So, it's not just me fishing for fun, no. awesome stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. You know, I mean, that was a fun event. I mean, it, it was one of those. It was one of those events that was like, I knew we were doing it because, of course, I was scouting all the buildings and helping set up everything months before fans had any idea that there was going to be a super J cup, you know? So it's like mm-hmm. one of those things where like you, you, it was, it was so great to see it come off because you'd been working on it for so long. I think I started working on that show, that super J cup about six months prior to the show. So, um, you know, it was just a long culmination of uh, of events, you know, meeting with the New Japan officials to do the event and, you know, bringing in our team to help produce the event. It, it was just a lot of fun. Um, not a lot of stories except for how great the show was, and, you know, how it was tremendous. Yeah. Um. And we had a seminar with Shibata the next day, which was great because Shibata is such an awesome trainer himself. Um, 
yeah, it, it was just a great couple of days, you know, with those with that crew. When, and one thing too is about New Japan is they're completely professional organization, like down to the T. They want to know exactly everything that's done because they're so cons- you know they're so skilled at doing it, and it's the Japanese way. So it was it was great to work with them because there were things learned internally that we could make speak ourselves to improve down the And Jushin Liker actually was the producer for that for that Super J Cup that year, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He he's always had kind of like the go to on the Super J Cup. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things with the with the Japanese too, they're pretty about who's wrestling who or you know, about the matches itself, finishes and things like that. They're very secretive about that. It's honestly something I didn't care about. So I didn't, I didn't care about certain things as far as that goes. I did know certain, certain things because I knew some talent that were moving on higher up in the tournament wouldn't be available for other dates. I knew that. Besides that, you know, I was just a fan watching those matches. Yeah, that must be a, a kind of a unique experience for you at this point in your your life to just be able to be have that fan moment and that fan energy uh, once yeah. all that work is done. Yeah, definitely. I I don't know if I necessarily view it as a fan completely because I, I do. There are times when I watch a show and I just try to watch it as a fan, but when I'm at an event like that, for instance, I wasn't necessarily viewing it as a fan just because. I was looking at the production aspects of it, you know, but, you know, you're still a fan of the operation and how everything goes down and how everything looks and feels and sounds. So definitely, I, 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 I do agree. So the five wrestling is coming back uh, and I mean, it's really taking a lot by storm as far as fans are very excited. Um, and really just to have wrestling come back in, in live form um, has been slowly missed. Is there anything about the upcoming show or shows that you can tease regarding lucha matches or luchadors or just plans and how you will continue to incorporate Lucha Libre in Defy Wrestling? Yeah, Lucha Libre is always going to have a place with Defy. I can say in August, our 27th, 28th dates, there will be a Lucha Libre presence and a pretty strong presence there as well. Um, in future dates, you know, we announced all of our Seattle dates already. We're going to be announcing other cities' dates pretty soon. And all those other cities will have, you know, Lucha talent in some way there. You know, whether it's local Lucha talent or fly-in talent, because we have a really good relationship with, like, so, like, the Crash promotion in Tijuana. Yeah. Um, we have a good relationship with them. Um, I have got a great relationship with, like, Mass Republic and Lucha Central and stuff like that. So, we always want to have that Lucha uh, feeling to some of our shows, you know. So, it's always going to have a place. 
but you can't even tease just a, a little bit. Like, you, you know, maybe you'll get a fly in at some point. We're I, a little relentless here. Yeah. <laughs> we come on up a strong. Yeah, I could tease it this week. So, we of, more, of more matches, so I could tease that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So, like, I'll take that. That's great. That that has some uh, lucha ties, possible lucha ties. We just have to keep on uh, keeping an eye out for for these yep. match announcements. Not only for uh, the August shows, but apparently the the shows coming up throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I do know that um, you know this year we do have some talent scheduled for Mexico that are high level luchadors, some of the biggest stars in Mexico. Uh, at this moment, so look out for that. Yeah, will be awesome. So that's, that's be what cool. I was. That's what I was hoping to hear right there. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you, we'll see a wide variety of different luchadors and things like that. So, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, like like we mentioned, you do you do a very good job of consistently having a lucha presence on there. Whether it's the local luchadors or the fly-ins, you always have some. Thing so I do always look. Always, it's an automatic buy for me to to get yeah. tickets to see to see your show. You know, it, it's really crazy. Our last year when things shut down, you know, the show the show right before we shut down was oh, February yeah. of 2019, was it or no 2020? Yeah. yeah, we had we featured a lot of the wrestlers from Crash, you know, including Damian Sessions. And, uh, that was awesome. Um, the show right before that, we had Psychosis, which was awesome. Um, and Psychosis is so, so great to work with. He actually gave me his mask that he was wearing that night. That was really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and he, he's one of those guys that I've worked with on different events for years now, and I've known him for years now. Um, and he's just one of those guys that I always like to see on shows because he's such a cool dude to be around, you know. But, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have some more for sure. We are very much looking forward to, to hearing oh, that. Yes. So I don't want to backtrack too much because we're looking into the future. However... <laughs> Out of, again, pure curiosity, how has the past year and a half gone as, you know, a, a, a wrestling promoter who hasn't been able to put together live shows um, and the entire experience with the, the pandemic? How has, has this changed anything about your views on wrestling as a promoter and even how you are approaching the series of, of upcoming shows you have? It, it has changed it uh, a little bit. I think the la- the whole landscape of wrestling's changed from the time the pandemic started till now. I mean, just look at the crew of talent that's signed to contracts. It's completely different. It, so that's that's changed a lot. Um, talent that necessarily was that that was available say a year and a half ago might not be available now, or they're locked yeah. into deals contractually where they can't work for certain people, you know, or certain something. It's become a lot more political in the last year and a half because of these outside forces like that. Um, But in a lot of ways, it's also opened things up because there are promotions that are working together now. 
So it's it's a little different world to navigate. But the pandemic, I mean, especially in the Pacific Northwest where everything was shut down, we could not hold events unless they were free in a warehouse somewhere. And we didn't feel comfortable doing that. So, you know, we were basically out of business for a year and a half or more. Now, geez, it's been more than a year and a half now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's been tough. Like, it's, it, you know, Defy, we, we treat Defy like a, a real business, like a small mm-hmm. business. Um, and so there has been challenges just like any other small business has had. Um, so we're really looking forward to the future and, you know, even, into the future because of everything with COVID now, the future is not even a hundred percent clear as yeah. far as certain things, you know, it's traveling and uh, occupancy levels and capacity, you know, capacity levels and things like that. So it's going to be interesting going forward. So, so speaking of, of uh, your, your business model and being supported, you did some very innovative stuff. I don't know how personally you were involved. I know uh, Ethan had a lot to do with the, you had auctions and uh, things of that nature. Have you found that your merchandise has, has gained in popularity? Have you, I mean, is there, I'm, I'm giving you the chance, put the, the shop logos uh, out there, the shop links and everything out there too, but uh, yeah, definitely. I know. Yeah. Um, the, the firewrestling.com is where you can buy all the merchandise and things like that. And, like you mentioned, Ethan HD, which is one of the wrestlers we feature all the time, is part of the tag team American Guns, former Defy tag team champion. Um, you know, he's got a great comic book shop in Tacoma, Washington called Destiny Comics, and he did some, some like live, uh, auctions for different merchandise or things mm-hmm. like that, which helped out a lot, you know, and helped sell some merchandise and things like that, but nothing helps sell merchandise like Purchasing those shows, you know, um, the defiance, which is what our, you know, we call our fan base. Well, actually, it's what they call themselves. Um, They're very supportive in terms of merchandise and things like that. And as long as we continue to produce top quality merchandise, I'm sure there will be a market for it. So, And and you do. I, I am looking across my room, tons of defy merchandise there. Um, we one thing we dis- one thing we discuss when I talk to you down at Expo Lucha is you also have an an urban Aztec design. So yeah, um, wow. I was just wondering wow. that you know we we've got Jesse produced and and if people listening aren't familiar with Jesse Hernandez, urban Azteca, man, he is an awesome artist. Yes, he really um, is. What was it? Two years ago, we did a show around Halloween. And mm-hmm. we had him produce, uh, you know, to, to design a couple Defy specific, um, uh, mat, like masks and things like that. And we put it on t-shirts and the event that featured like, you know, we had like, uh, Bandito and Flamita there and things like that. And it was a yeah. Lucha specific show that we did. And, um, like Ray Mysterio, or I'm sorry, Ray Phoenix was there and, <laughs> Ray Horus, yeah, yeah, Ray Horus, and uh, yeah, it was really, really fun event, and uh, one of you know one of my favorite events. But you know, Jesse, he did this awesome design for a T-shirt and poster, and to this day, it's like one of my favorite Defy T-shirts because it's just the skull, you know, the 
it, how he yeah. does the designs of a skull, and it's got Defy written across it. it it's awesome. I love it for his day. Yeah. And, you know, Jesse's somebody that we want to work with again in the future, so he's God. awesome. I don't blame you. His art is so unique and and one of a kind, but it also encapsulates not only, I think, a a tradition in Lucha Libre, but also just uh, his own interpretation and modernization of, you know, Mm -hmm. the the style and art form uh, of Lucha, but also, you know, Lucha culture, Mexican culture. So it's, it's truly one of the most unique types of art out there. Yeah. Agree, yeah. agree, very much so. You know, one of my, it's a weird little dream that I have, and I know, like, there's probably, like, 1% of the wrestling population out there would even be interested in seeing it. Well, probably more, but one of my dreams, and I don't think it's ever going to be able to happen, I want to promote a another Pijo del Santo versus Negro Casas match. It's like, politically, it's like, Way out there, you'd have to mend a lot of fences and things like that. Yeah. Get a lot of A's. I think you have to get the UN involved as well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I that out like a few weeks ago, and it's like, man, I, I would love to see those two guys wrestle just at least one more time. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, especially in a singles match. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. all I want. I know yeah. they could have a phenomenal match because I. I've been I've been to shows where I've seen them wrestle each other probably a dozen times, and they're always phenomenal. You know, it's that classic lucha, lucha style, you know. Yeah. So right. Just, yeah. Hopefully, one day before they both retire, so it'll happen. Yeah, that would be amazing. Is, is they have I, the, I, I think you're on to something with that, yeah. Go ahead, Dusty, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, they have that classic Lucha style. So many people think of Lucha as flips and high-flying maneuvers, but Io Del Santo, Negro Casas, they really have that mat bat base, the grappling, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very exciting, yeah. And even, yeah, even at the, the height of their abilities, it was a very deliberate pace where you can really digest what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fanta- yeah, fantastic stuff. Very much so, yes. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this interview for the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. Please, please tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find Defy Wrestling, and anything else you'd like to share and plug with us. Well, I think I should also plug uh, Eat Like a Luchador Cookbook. Absolutely. Yes. 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 We, we <laughs> should, have our... You know, if, if you want to see some of my work, I wrote, I don't know how many of the bios in there, but I wrote a good portion of the bios in the book. So check that out. I, I love the book. Um, a lot of my family members already bought it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great book. A lot of cool bios, a lot of cool features, a lot of cool recipes. Um, so check that out. I know you can get it at Master Public. I don't know if you, you guys have a link on your website or not. Uh, uh, I do have the link. Uh, well, we can put the, I'll put the links back yes, up for yeah, in our socials. It, it, yeah. It's available at Mass Republic and Amazon and of course local bookstores as well. I believe Barnes and Noble, uh, has it. Um, and, and it's definitely getting distributed, uh, widely through, you know, uh, online carriers and local carriers. And yeah. Yes. 
Destiny City I, still has it, too. I always yeah, got to give him a hug. And, and Toma Washington has copies available. I wanna, when I got the book in the mail, I was just, I was just blown away by how, how great it's they It's beautiful. Did. It's such a beautiful just book. Again, the artwork, mm-hmm. the mix of recipes, but also the history behind it. I mean, real quick, how did you get involved with that the, the cookbook? Um, just through, through Kevin. That's how it goes. That's how we do it. Kevin, flying rocks. Writing stuff for Kevin for years, even the Rudo Can't Fail. Um, I love Rudo Can't Fail. The fanzine, and I, I, I've known Kevin for years, and we've always collaborated on stuff here or there, you know, and he was just like, hey, you want to write some bios? I was like, sure. So, that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Have you, you know, uh, just I, real, real quick, on that. For, I've written bios for different luchadors over the years, and like, um, you know, I, I've been one of the like main proponents in pushing a lot of the luchadors for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, yeah. So that Good was on you. Good. Because about ten years ago, I was like, man, they're really under, they're really underrepresented, right? A lot of the luchadors represented so i really pushed to get certain guys um into that hall of fame like carlos lagrede and uh uh medical medical i really pushed hard for him and death missionaries and you know so many guys i was just like yeah these guys need to be in there so yeah fantastic that's great to know yeah thank yeah thank you for sharing that part with us i didn't even think to to look at that part of it that's great yeah yeah it's like i i i know the death missionaries were uh, elected last year i think it was and i'd written numerous bios for them and presented a lot of their work and when dave did his feature on it all of those like the attendance figures and dates and stuff like that i gave him and even like when uh, uh Barroso de plata passed away just a few days ago yeah dave write the bio for that Oh, you know, his biography cool. for his career. So, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that was an important one. Yeah, yeah we talked a lot about the importance of him on this show. Yeah. yeah. Now, after I wrote that, helped write that bio and provide some of the uh, information for the bio, I was like, man, maybe the Brazos need to go in the Hall of Fame too. I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah if, <laughs> if you're looking for suggestions, that would be my suggestion for a nominee in the future because yeah. yeah they uh, they they did so much we talked about how they changed they the trio style with the missionaries of death uh and then uh just they helped evolve the comedy style yeah they just they, yeah they're all they're super important to to wrestling on both sides of the border so i have no reason they shouldn't be and i don't think people understand that shift from the mid to late seventies where trios because trios have not been common in Mexico for as long as people realize because they they did take place in the seventies and sixties and things like that, but they didn't really become popular until the late seventies and early eighties. And Brazos were like one of the teams that kind of came out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. By the mid eighties Every card featured on on top were like trios, and they all had like similar attire and similar names, and 
you know, there was mm-hmm. a dozen or so trios that were just headlining 90% of the cards. Yeah. So they really changed Lucha Libre. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, on Lucha Central, we have uh, we have a feature written by Pep Carrera. I'm sure you know him. Mm-hmm. This day in Lucha Libre. Um, yeah. Maybe at some point we can get you to help us with uh, this day in Lucha Libre. Uh, uh, on the oh, a little known fact, yeah. Lucha Central's first this day in history. I wrote those. I thought maybe so. Yeah, it's meant to be. Yeah, I'm sure that you, I'm sure that there's been additions to it and things like that, which is awesome. So, um, but the, the, the first feature that came out on the website, I, I remember I wrote a lot of those. So, yeah, I, I'll definitely be down to help out. On the feature. Yeah, that'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we do have the Eat Like a Luchador cookbook uh, with bios from Matt Farmer, so make sure you check that out. And, you know, yeah, where can people find you on social media, or where would you like people to go? We'll make sure they get there. Uh, go to the INW. That's, um, you know, our promotion, just at the INW on all platforms. You can mm-hmm. find me personally at Matt Farmer 93 on, like, Twitter. Um I haven't done it in a while, but I'll start doing it again where I post like historical things and stuff like that on Twitter. Um, I always look forward to those, by the way. So please do. I will. I'll pop some this weekend. So, um, but yeah, so just social media. Yeah. Check follow Defy and, uh, you'll see me there somewhere. And don't forget Defy is coming back to Seattle August 27th and 28th. Tickets are already on sale. Uh, and according to Defy social media, you also have shows scheduled for September 25th, October 29th, uh, November 20th and 21st, and December 18th. Yes. Yes. Those are all of our Seattle dates at Washington Hall in Seattle. Um, if you haven't been yet, check it out. It's one of the coolest experiences you'll see in wrestling. Yeah. Just not a bad seat in the house. Yeah, not a bad seat in the house. The crowd's always hot. Yeah, it's, you know, Tommy Dreamer's like, this reminds me of ECW. That's what he said. So. <laughs> Best compliment you can get right. these days. And goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you had super crazy, you know, the crowd's so hot, we'd have super crazy out there wrestling like it's 1997. <laughs> <laughs> so oh so it's it's almost like a time machine it makes people <laughs> 20 years younger revitalizes people yeah it really is yeah we had we had last year we had or two years ago we had super crazy versus tajiri uh celebrating the 20th anniversary of their famous feud in ecw you know and, Stop. Can't yeah. oh, my God. oh it was great it was yeah. great yeah. <laughs> and the crowd was just phenomenal and the match was phenomenal, and, you know, it was great. So, yeah. Uh, it reminds me, actually, uh, is Defy still streaming older episodes on Comet TV? Uh, no, it's on Pluto TV. Pluto. Pardon me. Yeah, the Pluto. Pluto TV, the Viacom app that you could download on your phone or you could download on your television. Um, I believe it's channel 732. Uh, yeah. Our- uh, are running there on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just saw, I just saw the Ultimo Dragon match just uh, a few days ago. He wrestled Matt Cross, and it's interesting if you watch that match on Pluto TV, you'll see Tajiri sneak ringside and take pictures of it right at the ringside. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Check out Defy on Pluto TV uh, to get those snippets. And, of course, I mean, we talked about in the beginning, you know, some of the, the wrestlers that have made their way through Defy, people that we've seen all over the world, people we see on television on a weekly basis now. So Defy is absolutely a promotion that recognizes the best talent uh, out there, but also recognizes the potential of talent uh, to the point where they're getting signed with the big boys. So uh, congratulations on Defy coming back uh, to live events, coming back to Seattle, um, your work with, you know, Eat Like a Luchador. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. It was uh, amazing to be able to talk with you. And thank you for just sharing your knowledge and tidbits of um Lucha Libre and, and your experiences uh, with learning and, and sharing the knowledge. You know, wrestling <laughs> is, is a tradition. Lucha Libre is a tradition. And tradition is passed on through knowledge and story. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, everybody. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for Dusty Murphy and, and for Brendan Barr, I'm Miranda Morales. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to catch us every week on the Lucha Central Weekly Podcast at luchacentral.com. You can find us through your favorite podcast streaming platforms as well, such as Spotify, iTunes, Podbay, Speaker, uh, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. And, of course, streamed with our partners at thechairshot.com. Don't forget also to follow Lucha Central at Lucha Central on uh, social media, I believe Instagram and uh Facebook and on Twitter at LuchaCentral.com. And, of course, LuchaCentral.com, your centralized place for all things Lucha Libre. We'll catch you next time. Bye.